It's difficult enough to weed your garden during the summer, but when the weeds and the ryegrass get all caught up in mulch, it makes it even more of a headache. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of May the 20th, 2010. I am steeped in this Gardening Organically group on Yahoo and... It is one of the truisms in that group that you never, never, never want bare soil. So when you started putting that mulch down in the spring, I just thought it looked great. And I was real pleased about it. But now we're not so sure. Right. I think we've talked before about our ryegrass that refuses to die. Um, We're told that by the end of the month or sometime in June when the weather temperatures reach about 90, that we may see it go. But right now it's very strong and vigorous. And what it's done is it simply has pushed up through the mulch and in some cases actually lifting the layer of mulch with it and kind of hovering around the poor little plants. Uh, At any rate, it's just, it's turned out to be a real pain. I'm very comfortable using what we call the weeding hoe. It's like a half moon, real sharp hoe that you can use with almost a sweeping motion. And it works real well for new weeds, and it's just real easy to use. But you can't use that once you've put down mulch. And if the mulch doesn't suppress the weeds, and then it gets in the way when you try to weed, we're really having second thoughts about the whole idea of using mulch. Yeah, so we, I'm sure we won't do it exactly this way again next year. We, we certainly won't have the problem of the ryegrass because we won't be planting that again. But as you pointed out to me the other day, the ryegrass is serving the function in some cases of choking out other weeds. That is true. And it also um, it has the effect of shading that ground and that keeps other weeds from coming on. So when that magical point arrives in the summer when the ryegrass does die back, I hope we will be fairly well positioned. Right. And the plants, hopefully, the ones that at least survive, will be taller and kind of towering above it all. So, mm-hmm. But we're, we're waiting for that. We've had some success, though. We have some plants that have gotten big, like the eggplant that actually has some little eggplant plants on it. So eggplant fruit, we're, we're happy to see that. But some of the other plants are very small, and <clears throat> we still need to, to be pretty vigilant about weeding around them. The other thing we did down on Veg Hill is uh, more or less finish pruning the muscadines. And I don't mean that we'll um, never prune them again, but they have their sort of final structure in the sense that we've clipped off all of the side shoots, and now we're focusing mainly on the skeletal growth of that main shoot. Right, we needed to do that. We also uh, spent some time in the orchard pruning other trees. And that was um, a painful process. It's it's always painful to prune trees, I isn't know. it? I know. And some of them are so small, like those plum trees, that you, you hate to. But, you know, to make them grow in the right uh, configuration, we did some pruning. We Most, most trees received at least one 
uh, limb spreader mm-hmm. application. <laughs> so we hope that we've, we've done the right thing. And we, of course, remulched those. Once we took the cages off to do that work, we just, I went ahead and put a whole lot more mulch around the um, Yeah, bottoms. that mulch is piled high mm-hmm. now around those fruit trees. And uh, it was real important to me that when we pruned that we did that as a team. So that was one of the rare things where you and I both did it together, talking with each other at each tree about what needed to be cut off and what didn't. Because that's just a, nobody wants to be responsible for making the wrong move with one of those trees. That's right. We needed to have shared responsibility and, and shared participation. And we had a mishap with one of them. Trying to spread the limb. Yeah, trying to put the limb spreader on one of the pear trees. The limb just broke off. And we really were not pressing down real hard on it. That was uh, a real wake-up call to realize how fragile those young branches are. Mm -hmm. And and maybe they're not fragile on every variety of tree. We certainly were kind of, we're using more force with the apple trees and got away with it. But those pear trees... um, they, they must have fragile branches. Right. So we learned a lesson there. <laughs> um, the limb spreaders are funky. These are things we bought commercially. They were not expensive. We got them from Stark Brothers, I yes, think. Yes, yes. And um, it's just a little piece of plastic with a couple of spikes on each end with a fork. And you can uh, place it on the the main central leader and a branch and push the branch down so that it doesn't uh, crowd the, the central leader. And that seems to be working well. Yeah. We needed a few more small ones because of we're, we're at that stage where most all of the limb spreaders you need are small. Although we did use a few mediums. Yeah. We're a long way away from needing the large ones. <laughs> so. That's true. The clothesline is finished up now. We have a, um, a nice clothesline. It has about um, maybe 90 running feet of very strong um, clothesline that we um, placed at the ideal working height for you. Although I was out there using, you know, walking around the other day and I realized because the terrain slopes, the clothesline doesn't slope that much. So there are points where it's rather high and points where it's rather low. But mm. Overall, it's going to work out well, I hope. But we can't use it yet. Because we don't have grass. But we, well, we have seed. We have <laughs> a centipede seed, and we don't want to be walking on it much. So we're trying to stay off the grass and keep it watered every day. And we think that's for about three weeks, right? That's what they tell us. Yeah. It may be like that ryegrass will die in May thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, in fact, what scared me is you're telling me that it uh, it might take years for it to completely take hold. I said two years. That two, well, two that, years that is, is not... years plural <laughs> years. <laughs> but yeah, it may be a couple of years before the um, centipede really spreads out. And one of the things we learned after we had put the seed down is that we didn't save that much money by using seed rather than sod. Um, we might have been better off to just go ahead and get sod and put right. it down there. And we have, since we have some other areas that also need some centipede, we're probably going to just try the sod on that. I would think so. <clears throat> I, I would be inclined to do that rather than 
you know, because the seed is just very fragile and must be uh, babied at this stage. And, you know, we're okay doing the babying, but if we could just put the side down and have a lawn ready to use almost instantly, I would be in favor of that. Right. So we and and some of those sloping areas like around the blueberries, I think the sod will be invaluable because we don't want it the seed washing down. It, it's kind That's of That's right. Hilly it gives area. you uh, a almost instant uh erosion control when you put the sod down and you certainly don't get that with the seed. No, no you don't. But uh we also had a pleasant discovery. Well, before we talk about that, let's talk about your compost, well, it's our compost bin, but you've the, you're the one who's taken it on as a project. I, I'm the one who's playing Elmer Fudd. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and the, the, just as a refresher, if you haven't heard the previous litany, we had a, comp- first of all, originally compost pile just out in the open. And varmints were getting into that. We're pretty sure fox, et cetera, possum. So we enclosed it in chicken wire, but the possum well, no, before the chicken wire we just had goat fence the possum could get in that and gorge himself and he did that so then we put chicken wire around that which was actually deer what we used for the deer fence yes. sort of a coated chicken wire um the fox came along figured out how to break through and he found a little opening so the next step was for you to you to <laughs> over layer um, uh, yeah, some, we sort some of patched of the over yeah. the, the little slip and really that reinforced we it, right. So no sign of the fox for a while, but it had, still had an open top. The latest was crow. The crow got in there and was... Lift- crows. Crows, yeah, there was more than one. Yeah, but, but, you know, one crow at a time would come and just have its way with whatever was in there, and you'd, be, you'd see them flying off with all the stuff hanging out of their beaks, and they'd drop it all over the lawns so all and, over the yard. And it really didn't bother us a lot that they were coming in and grabbing a little piece of food here and there, but we compost napkins and toilet paper rolls and a lot of other things that we really didn't want spread around the farm. So uh, it, we we really needed to do something to deal with it. I think when I saw a corn cob outside the pen is when I did that. <laughs> I thought, How in the world could a crow pick that up? But anyway, uh, so... What did you do for Plan F? I think you decided we're along. You yeah, know, we're we started with a Plan B. Plan F now. Plan F. And yeah. the Plan F is a uh, couple of saplings shaped into a circle uh, with deer fence wrapped around them, shaped into a lid, and that lid sits on top of the compost cage. And then when we want to put stuff in there, we just lift the lid and throw the stuff in there, and then put the lid right back down. And it's too soon to say for sure, but I think it may be working. I think it is, yes. <laughs> I have seen no crows flying around with our compost in their in its beak. So that's and it is a real relief because we were <laughs> struggling with that. You know how important compost is to us. We've just got to figure out a way to make compost in decent quantities and as quickly as possible. So... We really needed to find a way to make this work, and, and maybe we found it. That's right. And speaking of compost, I think we need to tell a really interesting, fun story that happened this week. We had some of our friends uh, come to visit us, friends from uh, Serendipity Sunday School class at Vestavia Hills United Methodist Church, and we want to give a shout-out to all of them, thank them for coming all the way down sure to the farm. sure was fun to see them. Oh, it was great. And so one of them, Laura Waits, um, 
was walking along and not knowing anything about the what had been where you know on this farm before she looked down and said something like that looks like food right that's right um, you you actually heard her firsthand and so uh sure enough little squash plants and little cantaloupe at least that's what we think they are um are coming up out of where the compost pile was la- well actually right before we moved it to the to the um bin so um I dug them up and transplanted them to Veg Hill. And most of them are looking, I would say 75% of them look as though they may have a chance of making it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they were a little wilty at first, but, you know, we don't want to leave them there because even if they do, if they produce veg, the critters will get that. So they're in the fenced area now, and we hope that they will uh, produce something for us. That was fun to find that and be able to uh, rescue them and move them to Veg Hill. And I think you made a video. And you made a video of it, didn't you? We have a little video, and um, it's up on the site, so I'll link to that on the show notes page so you can find out more about it if you would like. But that was a nice little discovery. Thank you, Laura. um, Well, this week's big plan, I guess, is gearing up for our irrigation system. And I use the term system because it's more than just drip irrigation. We've got faucets that we're putting in in the orchard. We've got a faucet we're going to put in uh, in that little natural area north of the barn. Um, And I'm trying to decide. We may go ahead and put in a faucet over there where the fire pit's going to be. Because wouldn't that be handy to have a faucet right there where we can say, okay, we've got a hose ready to go if there's anything that goes wrong. Yes, might make you feel better. And um, then we've got, um, we're going to put a, a pigtail, you know, it's where you can get into it later for an outdoor sink as well as a faucet. And then the drip irrigation for the blueberries and the greenhouse, the future greenhouse, as well as drip irrigation for Veg Hill. So it's a big deal. And we're both apprehensive about it, but I particularly am apprehensive to make sure that we do it right, that when we get the trencher, which we're planning to get this weekend, we do everything that needs the trencher to do and get it done so that when we turn the trencher back in, we won't ever need to to use the trencher again, or won't need to use it anytime soon. Right, and, and I'm glad that we're doing it because... Um, you had talked about the fact that I'm watering everything in sight, uh, you know, and I have been. I've had, I've worn myself out watering everything because it's the weather has big, been so dry. Big job to keep everything watered. And, and I mean, have, yeah, it has really kept you uh, working into the night, moving sprinklers around and so forth. We know we've got to figure out a better way, and we hope that this will facilitate that. Um, it's going to be a a deer fence size task to get right. it done because um, it's w- going to take a lot of time. And um, I've been practicing gluing PVC. I've never glued PVC before. And we have uh, some extra uh, three-quarter inch up the hill. So I robbed from it and practiced yesterday gluing PVC. And that went well. So I, I feel good about that. This will all be worth it, though, when we get it done, because not just for this year, which is starting out at least as a very dry spring and leading into summer, 
But for future years, we'll have it all in place. And that I certainly we'll is glad. our hope, that we will be um, well positioned so that we can water. Obviously, watering is going to take power, um, but we've been pleasantly surprised so far to see that we can water a pretty good bit without seeing a big increase in our electricity usage for that day. Right, because of the well pump kicking in to, Correct. to power the water. What really uses power is the electric dryer, and we hope to be uh, weaning ourselves of that soon once the grass gets in and we can use the clothesline on At a regular basis. At least for basis. most items that need washing. Yeah, and there's <laughs> the continuing dialogue where Lee says we'll be using the clothesline and not the dryer, and Amanda always says, and we'll still be using the dryer for some things, and that will have to settle out over the years to come here at Longleaf Breeze as we right. figure out what we can and can't do. But anyway, I think we're just about out of time, so we want to thank you for listening this week, and we will look forward to catching up with you again next week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682, send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com, or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780446. Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleaffreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.